Wait right there. This is the second episode of two, where we meet a bartender at the top of everyone's game. So if you want to hear the first part of his journey, stop and go back to the previous episode. Oh, did I mention Eric Lawrence is that bartender? I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time by the best in the industry. So, we left Eric at the doors of the Connaught Hotel, wondering whether he would take the leap. As history shows, we know he did, and from there, his career skyrocketed into the stratosphere, landing him where he is now, proud owner of his own bar, Quaint. Let's join him where we left off. Now, you had said that you had known him from Montgomery Place. How well did you know him? That's right. So basically when the Montgomery Place opened, that was kind of like a first street bars, which is not a speakeasy, that uh, you could walk in and you could see real modern bartending. And obviously Agostino was a part of the opening team there and... When I've heard about it, I straight away went there after when they open it. So I've become kind of regular guest there, and uh, and that's how we become friends from there. And uh, I took Martin Becker there as well. I showed him when the bars open, so he loved that too, and he ended up actually working there as well. And uh, we just become friends with Agostino, and uh, that was a moment when uh, actually our our path crossed uh, at the Connaught. And when you heard that he was mm. potentially the head bartender there, <clears throat> what went through your mind? I was like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. Oh, my God. This is incredible that uh, Agostino is going to be there. And it's a new opening. It's a hotel bar in a beautiful Mayfair on a Carlos Place. Couldn't imagine for more. It's like playing a football with Messi. <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't yet secure. He wasn't, said. yes, so, because he was negotiating the contract quite a long time. So I approached the hotel, so I went to interview. And they were hiring because they were looking for staff. Uh, had a first interview, then I had my second interview, and all went very well. So after third interview, they offered me the contract. And that time I was already in a close contact with Agostino. So it's like, I go, how is he going with you? Because... So you were allowed I, to talk to him about I, I After mean, that, yes. Yeah, after okay. that, after the third interview, they yeah. told me, they showed me the bar, because first they didn't even want to show me the bar. So I was just having interviews in the front bar, at the Coburg bar that time. And they didn't want to show anything. It was everything very discreet. They were saying everything on the refurbishment, you can't go into the bar, but of course you could, but they just didn't want to. They wanted right. to make it very exclusive. So after that, then they told, okay, that's head bartender will be Agostino. And it's like, okay, this is amazing. And then I just called Agostino. It's like, so I go, I had my third interview. It all looks good. I just got my contract in front of me. I'm about to sign it. Uh, is this official that you are on board? And he says like, no, I'm still kind of negotiating with them and I said okay I'm not going to sign the papers until he signed it and then uh, there was a day where a few weeks few weeks I think after he, he messaged me he's like I just signed a contract I was like okay then because the HR was keep bombing me he's like Eric can, us, can you send us back the contract he's like yeah I just still need to study it I still need to go through what it is <laughs> of course not right. I was just waiting for Ago so once he signed it 
I just brought it back, signed it, and uh, that was one of the amazing start, amazing journey that uh, we actually, because the bar was still under construction, so I still remember that our first menu, we were, we created it in uh, one of the butler's room, which was upstairs on the first, I think first or second floor, tiny little room, no window, no air conditioning, just a little space with a fridge and ice machine. And, and that was it. I can't That's, believe they even gave you a room that had no air conditioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. It couldn't have anything. It just was bringing all the ingredients in, all the ideas, all the glassware, and that's where we were working on. So I, I still remember that, that time I was still at the, uh, at the Sanderson. So before my shift, I was going to Connaught, did right. the, did a couple of hours of uh, development and research with Agostino, and then I went to my shift to, to Sanderson Hotel, and after when my. Uh, period finish my uh, notice period finish I started straight away and it was in July we reopened the bar together and what did you know about the con up before well I knew that this it has uh, one of the oldest American bars but after the renovation they just closed it and they completely went away from it because this was one of the few three American bars in town that were still called this American bar that was the Stratford mm -hmm. Hotel Savoy and the Connaught and Connaught was the last remaining one, but after the renovation, they said, like, we want to go completely away from that. We want to give a complete new, fresh uh, face to the bar, which is completely different than the guests would expect because they brought in Helen Daros, yes, she's course. already Michelin star, so they wanted to bring uh, a bar on the same level, have the same kind of approach, nothing very classy, old school, old fashioned, something more vibrant, more modern, something which perfectly suits to the uh, Carlos place. You know? I know a lot of people who cried the day mm. that they closed the Connaught restaurant yeah, yeah. because it was one of the only places that you could still get silver service. That's right. And I remember going there when I was really young. Really? Because uh, it was my dad's favorite hotel. Oh, wow. He was one of them that still asked to this day, yeah. are you bringing that back? Yeah. And so he was so thrilled. When yeah. he heard that, you know, a bar was coming yeah, yeah, yeah. and that they were going back to that tradition. So when you saw the bar, mm. you know, this is a, a bar and a, a hotel with tons of history. Yeah. How did you even start with Ago to, I mean, I've heard Ago's side of it, but mm. your side of it, of to get your head around what this kind of new old mm -hmm. bar would be or bar menu? I think uh, we just wanted to do something very cool and trendy and sophisticated. And I think it worked. It took a while because I remember that time when we were opening it, you, the Instagram, the Twitter, the, the Facebook wasn't that active. Nobody has pages there that you could promote your brand. So it was very much like a word of mouth and a few magazines were, the, were writing about that. So when we were opening it, we were so quiet. It was super really? quiet, uh -huh. yes, because nobody knew that this is a new bar there and nobody actually knew that, hey, we are open. We did an opening day with a few uh, guest friends and clients of Connaught and, and that was it. But I remember six months later, we were still receiving guests and it's like, oh, wow, this has been open. How long has it been here? And it was completely different. It was designed by David Collins mm -hmm. and he did an amazing job there because everything... Literally everything about the bar was just perfect. The lightning, 
the setup, the colors, the fabric, the decor was just everyone is, just walked yeah. in. It is one of the chicest bars in the world. We walked in and mm-hmm. it was just like, wow, this is amazing. And we just like, okay. And I remember that at that time, the really the bar manager really wanted to push champagne. So he brought insane collection of champagne into the into the bar that we were even pouring salon by the glass. Which I don't think so any hotels or bars they've done it in London. But that was two thousand and eight. Now you had said that one of your goals was to work yeah. in a bar, be um, be there when a bar started. Yes. Had you had any preconceived notions of what you wanted to create in this bar? In that whole idea of working at it was a bar uh, like that. It was kind of coming gradually. Of course, I wanted to do that, but I haven't had a like. Okay, if the bar opens, this is exactly what I want to do because it's very much up to the bar. Where is the bar? What does it look like? And then. I would put myself into the imagination of, okay, so this is the bar and this is what we can do here. And one of the first thing was that when we started working, when we were like doing all the brainstorming sessions and comparing and putting together what's, what's the hotel is about. We got a Helen Darrow's there, Michelin star. So it's like, okay, guys, let's just take a Bloody Mary. It's one of the most popular hotel bar drink. But we don't want to just serve the classic Bloody Mary. We want to be sophisticated about it. Let's do what, what's make this drink so cool and interesting. So <clears throat> I got this idea of uh, taking the celery stick out from the on, from the bar from the drink because what I'm noticed most of the time people just stir it and just leave it on the table. It's like why are people wasting this and. I remember before actually I went to the uh, went to apply for the job. I actually went to Paris to see Helen Darrow's restaurant. It's like I wanted to see her style, what she's like. So I went there for dinner and had a tasting menu. And I remember, still remember, one of the dish was a uh, mini club sandwich and like a rocket jelly on the top. And I was like, this was very clever. Instead of putting a fresh rocket, she made like a jelly on the top. So you just pick the club sandwich and just eat it. And that kind of stick into my head as like, what can I do with that here? And then I thought, hold on a second. How can we put the celery on the top of the drink? Just to do a layer of of a celery instead of putting in a stick into the drink. And then I thought, wait a second, we have this uh, lecithin powder, which Ferradria was using everywhere, creating all this air. So that was very trendy that time. So I was constantly digging into his books and uh, into his ideas of cooking what he's doing. So uh, so I just squeezed the celery juice, mix it with the uh, lecithin powder, and I created the celery air. And then I just, with a, with a julep, spoon, julep strainer, I just put a layer on the top of it because I also found out it was a one very old recipe, I just can't remember if it was that, that the, the, the Bloody Mary was actually served in a wine glass, not even with ice. So I said, okay, we have a we have a very similar glass. It was designed for us by John Jenkins. And it was like a very short uh open wine glass. Almost like a I would say it's like a glass for even for ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, said, it is. That could be the perfect glass for, for that. Use the bloody mirror without this without any ice and just put a celery on the top. Because when you put your nose in it, you really smell you that really celery. Smell it. Yeah. 
But the whole idea was that you drink it in the same time. Mm-hmm. So you don't waste the stick out and it's just so sophisticated. It's just like when you look into it and everyone's just like, wow, what is this? I still remember we had this gentleman we served him first time. He was a big bloody mirror lover. And he came in just like, so I heard this bar just open. What is something I should try? And he's like, I think you should try for bloody mirror. It's like, ah, I drink bloody mirror all the time. I want something else. Something that's like, but I think you should try our Bloody Mary. Yeah, but not our Bloody Mary. <laughs> but he was like, yeah, I'm drinking Bloody Mary all the time. I'm going to try something new, something different. It's like, well, let me just serve you one Bloody Mary and see if it's if it surprises you or not. And when he tried that, he goes like, wow. Okay, I wasn't expecting anything like this. I can never go back now, he probably thought, to the old Bloody Mary. So what he, he became our like, uh, Bloody Mary ambassador. Uh-huh. He was coming only to drink Bloody Mary, and he was bringing guests and friends to drink Bloody Mary. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> and yeah, so that was one of the things. Like, and that's when we started thinking, like, okay, with Augustine, like this is the direction we want to go. We can't focus on the champagne. It's 2008. It's... The credit card, the the market just crashed. Right. People stopped spending money. They were like, not people. They were all scared to just pay hundred pounds for a glass of champagne. Right. And then we kind of tried to transform. It's like I think we want to create a hotel bar with a very much a face of a cocktails destination, but with a very modern approach. Mm-hmm. So do something very very unique and cool, but. Still keep the DNA. If it was the classic drink, just keep a nice DNA of it, but add something new and different. Did you feel that this was kind of your culmination, what you were born to do? You know, you had worked all those years at Attica and the Japanese place. You've been to Japan that now you could really be creative and and be the person, not creative, I guess, but be Mm. that person that you wanted to be it. when yeah. you were young yeah. this was a moment that where i was really found myself like that's what i was looking for for so long one i could create things one and second be there from beginning so setting up the mm-hmm. setting up the the first steps of the bar and creating the face of the bar because everywhere where i went to work it was already everything established it was already someone done it and we were just following it mm-hmm. And I, I didn't find it it's wrong, but uh, I wanted to like I want to experience how it is to open a bar because ultimately my biggest dream as a bartender for years was to open my own bar, mm-hmm. and only one way to do it is just to learn how it is because that's the best way, and I think that's the best thing I've learned in my career that where I was a part of the opening team, and when you see the stress which comes with it, and just try to. Try to have this stress under control, and and I remember that that I felt so much into my world when we were there, and they were started bringing the furniture, bringing the glassware, and bringing the bottles. And I just looked into the bar, and it's like I straight away pictured how I could imagine this bar, and and until today, it's it's set up as it was, as I as I imagined it. That uh, it has one, two, three, four, four windows, and one main where is the mainly the whiskies are. And on the sides, there were small windows where I've created, okay, this will be the uh, vodka window. This will be the gin window. This will be the uh, the tequila one and and the rum. So it was perfectly nicely spread. And, and I just did it as I looked into it. And I just started to follow uh, my imagination of if it's my, this is my bar, how I could 
set it up. And it worked perfectly because I found myself so comfortable in that that environment and especially working with a great team that everyone was supporting it was no fight like no we shouldn't put it there no I shouldn't put it there just for the sake because I was putting it there right because right. this is just, lots of time it just happened because people don't have an idea so just like let's you don't have idea either and it wasn't happening and uh, it could be easily done because Agostino was head bartender and he just led me to do the things so led me to set it up and uh, we worked so perfectly together that there was no argument, no this... That's so lovely. Nothing that would uh, make us like, okay, we have a problem. We never had a problem. Now, but said, how long did it take before <clears throat> the, the horde started to come? Oh, it took... Well, th- that was quite a while because obviously when we opened, people didn't know us. Not many people know us. And and uh, we were just keep pushing, keep trying, coming up with new ideas. After when we introduced the, the Kono trolley, the Martini trolley, it's become a massive hit. But again, it took so long that actually people started recognizing it. And we had it, uh, I think... I think six months after opening, mm-hmm. we launched the, the, the trolley. It was very early, but a uh, year later, nobody even paid uh, that much attention to it. And all of a sudden, people just started, like if you look back today, list of best martinis, It's one mm-hmm. of them is the Connaught because of the trolley martini, the way I was served and way, how is it being done. And uh, and then it was, we were waiting for so long, like when people recognized us. We were up for awards. We were in shortlisted here and there, but we never won anything. It was like, I felt very sad for, for Agostino because he had the same thing at the, at the uh, Montgomery place. He won, uh, I remember he won the class bartender of the year, but after that, the bar never won anything. Mm-hmm. And it was so sad to see because that bar was basically a destination bar for bartenders to go and get an idea. What is the bar of today? And that bar got never got any award, and which was just so sad to see. And I was like, is this because something to do with Agostino? It's just like he moved to another bar, which is like amazing. And we always shortlisted, but nothing. Well, you made up for it since, yeah, which but is then, good. But it must then, have been, yeah. But it took a while. It took. Uh-huh. A, I remember it was like it was taking so long that people started noticing. And I still remember we were sitting in uh, New Orleans behind this big circle table. We are shortlisted, and we were just like, "Okay, let's hope that this going to happen. Let this going to happen." No, no, <laughs> didn't. But at the same time, you <laughs> were uh, were you doing well, 2010, your two thousand ten. Two thousand ten was was. Uh, was really our year because that was when people really started noticing. So I entered to world class representing... Had the, you ever done world class before? No, no, that was my first time. Mm-hmm. So I entered in a world class representing UK from the Connaughts. And then that was... 2010 was the most amazing, I think, year for all of us because the fi- global final world class was in July... I think it was in the first week of July. And I came back home from Greece with a trophy as a global winner. And uh, so we had to split it because I went to Greece to global final. That was one week. So I came back and then Agostino went to New Orleans because got a nomination there as well. And a week later, he came back with also a nomination as an international bartender and our bar won the hotel bar. So it was like, 
okay, here it is. So in one finally. week, finally, one week, we won pretty much everything what we could win. But uh, it took so long. It, uh, but I'm not saying that it's because it's we really wanted to for uh, win that. But it's just like it's there and you're still not getting it. So it's like we are just thinking, what are we doing wrong? Mm-hmm. What are we doing really wrong? It's not like we want to do these things to win awards. We just want to see that what we're doing wrong because we just try to improve all the time and it wasn't coming. But that July 2010 was amazing. That he came back with a trophy and I just got a trophy. And that was the most amazing moment in my life. Well, we have to talk a little bit about world class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, so you said you never had um, applied before. Mm. Uh, what what were the... some like Talk me through some of the, the cocktails you invented for it and how that felt to just win the UK and then to go on to... So I never applied because... Uh, in, in 2009, my colleague went. So I was kind of helping him, you know, just, just looking, what is this world class all about? So he had to prepare this, and I was just helping him with that, and then he had to do another drink. And I was like, this looks so cool, this competition. And he made it to a UK final. He was in a UK final, so me and Agostino went to support him. And he's confidently talking, 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 talking through his presentation. And as he goes, he pours the drink and suddenly the drink, he, he didn't realize that. And we both with our eyes, we're just pushing like, oh, do, the, do the last thing. And we're looking into the glass and it's so short and he, he couldn't figure out. It's like why his drink is so short. And the reason why it was he forgot to put a tanker engine in it. Unaware. Yes. <laughs> so that's how... Although if he would put it in, everyone was saying he would win it. Oh, he would that's win. So sad. He would go straight away in because just the nerves was, got to him. Wasn't even nervous. He was very confident. I think he just like happened. He just forgets. Yeah. He just forgets because he was doing so well. The presentation. He had amazing drink. Everything was just said, but only that one little thing. It just it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. So then I said, you know what? Let me give it a try. Let me try this. And uh, so the fir- the final drink I remember for the UK final I was making because it was through various rounds and that was nerve wracking because after every round there were eliminations and I was still in and after second round I was still in third round still in I said, oh my god how long I'm gonna go for I had all the drinks ready for every single round even the final one only thing I was just missing is is the name because I was like I'm not sure if I'm gonna make it, but I had a drink ready. So suddenly I'm ending up in uh, <clears throat> Stephen Martin face to face, great bartender from up north, uh, and this was basically a shake off between myself and him, presenting our own signature drink, and the best drink basically is the winner, and that was the one who would take you to the global final. So as I was making the drink, I uh, I just got back from Japan, so I discovered yuzu. So I probably first bartender using yuzu drink that time with fino sherry, coriander, tanqueray, and and, and uh, it was lots of talking about the botanicals of the uh, of the gin. And I said, how can I enhance it? How can I bring this to in? So what I created this was just taking taking all the the main botanicals from the gin, and I created a little vessel on the side of the drink and uh, pour it over dry ice and hot water. So once I serve the drink, 
you would get this amazing mm-hmm. steam from the dry ice, but from the flavor which you would find in the botanicas. And then you would have a sip of the drink, and that would be the whole kind of ritual and and the wow factor of the drink because that was a request. It's like we want to see a wow factor, and we want to see the audience how would react on that. It's like what else you can do than than dry ice, right? So when I done this, I remember that, and it was amazing. Standing ovation, people love that. It was like okay, cool. Made a drink, and suddenly one of the judges goes like, "Eric, so what's the name of the drink?" And I just took a deep breath, deep uh, breath in, and I just looked through the room, and uh, one of the one of the saying of uh, work class was raising the bar. All right. And I looked left, and I just seen it on on, on that sign. I seen it in work class. Is raising the bar. So I just looked at, read that, and I'm just like raising to the sky. <laughs> <laughs> the moment and everyone was like yes this is amazing because just the, the steam was coming up and it's like raising to the sky and that was it and uh, this ended up being in a global final that was my ticket and when you're surrounded with kind of you know a 30 or more however many are in the the final of you you know the best mm. did you did you ever think, oh boy, I may be in over my head, or are you just always so super confident? Never really. I was just, I just really wanted to try the what is this competition about. I never really thought, okay, I can make it to the global final. But once I've seen uh, seen a ticket to the global final, and I received the, uh, I received the uh, rules, and I looked into that, I was like. This is something I can do because the rules are, like, yeah, there are some tricks. There are something you need to prepare for. Like you just can't show up and just anyone can do it. Yes, good. But how you end up, it's secondary. And then uh, I said, like, if I start training on this and I focus on this, it can be done. Because everything what was there was something I liked. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed work with the chefs, really enjoyed to work in environments, like a busy environment, always like to work in a busy bars and having everything under control. I I always wanted to be creative, that I could do something when it just to make drinks on the spot and also the challenges. So it's like one was the speed run, another one was pairing food with the dishes. Then we had a market challenge and then uh, of course they were the trickiest one were the, the blind tastings. But again, it's something like if I will train I can do it. So I started training for that and I tried to focus on that that I can I can go for it and let's see how it goes. Never in my head that I would win especially after when uh, just before work class I <clears throat> I went home because it was summer so I went to visit my family and had a little accident. That the little accident ended up being uh, s- smashing my teeth when I was walking upstairs in a cellar and it was a low ceiling, dark, I couldn't see so as I hit my head so my oh, front teeth wow. just got broken and I was like, no, now just right before work class like missing teeth, it was awful so I went straight away to dentist, fix it but the problem was a few days later when I came back to England after my holiday and I just started getting this very bad headache and I was like, what is this? So just maybe headache, took one painkiller, nothing second, nothing. And I came back from work and it was like three in the morning and this headache was just on and on and on. 
by five in the morning I was in a massive pain and I was just like what's happening here in the morning like eight in the morning I was almost like paralyzed my whole head my arms my fingertips everything was just wrong something was going wrong here and I didn't know what's going on luckily hospital was just across the road where I lived so I went to the hospital and I went for a check and they just said yeah you just take some painkillers I was like I already took like five you either do a complete checkup otherwise I'm not leaving so they took me in they did a scan and I remember when I was leaving the scan room I just collapsed it was that bad collapsed and I just woke up in the room already in the hospital in the room full on uh on a what's that called on the drips and i was like what the hell is going on here and they just came to me it's like we have something but we're still kind of figuring out like what is the problem so they tried to like track it down it's like have you had any accidents what happened what did you do for last few days so i started just like just working i came back home from work and i had this headache and it's like and before and before and before so then i said oh yeah i had this I hurt my head and then I had this, uh, I smashed my teeth. Ah, your teeth. So straight away after that, they did a scan on my teeth and they figure out that actually my nerves started dying after. But they said that, so this is very common that once your nerves got hit, it doesn't go immediately. It takes like three, four days until it's all developed. So that's why you, we all lost the track of like, that could be the problem. And that was mm-hmm. the problem. So my nurse in my bottom part of the mouth they started dying and that was creating amazing insane pain so when they figure out what's the problem they just gave me right antibiotics and painkillers so i came out from the hospital and i was like it was two days to go to the global final how much how much time was it two days to go could you taste anything was like your mouth taste was fine no 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 no. uh taste was fine it was more about just the pain because it was coming from from my mouth and he went to my back and he ended up in my fingertips because those nerves are all right. connected and from then from my head to my neck and the bottom it was just like awful like I n- never had anything like that and from such a little thing and there were things like the, the the biggest pain you get in your body is always from the smallest part huh. and that's the teeth so I went to a dentist then they checked out everything and it's just like I told them like I'm going to I'm supposed to go to to Greece for this competition am I okay to do that it's like yeah you're fine because what they said we we don't want to drill till we figure out exactly where it is so what we need to do we just need to wait till the whole pain is gone mm-hmm. because when they were just clicking on my teeth like all of them were in pain it's like right. I feel this I feel this feel this. Like, okay we cannot do anything because what we don't want is just drill into your teeth which is fine right so they just gave me a hell of a lot of painkillers and antibiotics so it's like just take this and you will be fine and then yeah. off to Greece you went. And uh, so... Were you I, in pain at all during Greece? No, I remember this happened on... The whole pr- problem was on Thursday escalated. So Friday I was in the hospital. I came up on, from the hospital on a Friday. Uh, no, on Saturday. I went back to work on Saturday because that was my last day before going to Greece and I was flying on Sunday. So I went back to work and I go, I was like, what the hell are you doing here? It's like, man, I need to pack and prepare and I'm flying tomorrow. It's like, you're crazy, just go home. It's like, no, I had to stay here, I had to do this. <laughs> so I did my last uh, shift before. I just like packed everything what I was training on. 
all my ingredients, all my tools, all my vessels and everything. And Sunday I went with one bag of painkillers to to Athens. And I think that was one of the things that I don't want to say is like that helped me, but uh, because I had these painkillers, I was like, I didn't touch alcohol at all. When I see other guys, they were just like, they've seen opportunity, it's a big party, free alcohol, let's just have some fun. And I said, for me, it's not fun. For me, this is serious. This is competition and I didn't come here to party. Right. I could party at home. And I was just there, sober and watching everyone and just focusing on every single challenges. And when it came to the challenge, I was just super focused on that. And this is what I was always having in my mind, that I always tried to imagine that when I was back at the Connaught and I was just trying to present the drink, I always was imagining that in front of me is a judge and how the judge will be reacting. But that was the guest. So I served him my drink and I would just see the reaction. So I said, like, I need to do this in a reverse. When I will be in, on the competition and judge will be sitting in front of me, I just have to imagine him that he is my guest. Right. And just how to look after him, how to present this drink, how to make him drink that he will like before even I serve him this drink. And that's how I met first time Del Groff. I mean, that was the first time I actually made drink for uh, Gary Regan and uh, Salvatore Calabrese, Peter Dorelli, all these big big guns from our industry suddenly you were facing that I was reading all their books and now I have to make the drinks for them. Lots of bartenders were so nervous because right, they course. knew. And for me it was like, no, I can't be nervous. I should enjoy it because I have a privilege to serve him a drink right now. And I think that was one of the key that I just went it so smoothly, no mistakes because I just had everything perfectly set. I brought even my own eyes to the competition and made all the drinks spot on, on time, and I think that was that was one of the key that really helped me that stay calm and still focused and uh, enjoy it and see them as not the scary people who will harm you, but people who are there to judge you. But in the same time, if you look into them as they are your guests, you just want to make them happy and satisfied. And that's how I just looking at them. And that's how I went through the whole entire competition without any nerves, anything to forget or anything and all of a sudden when they were saying the names out in uh, every challenge I said I remember this judge was saying that my challenge was pretty good so I said maybe I can get this challenge at least challenge they announced the challenge no they announced another challenge no third fourth fifth and it was just like challenge is going it's like okay that's it that's it okay nothing no challenge and suddenly <laughs> and the winner is and when my name comes out it's like I cannot believe this this is not true so I had to I remember before going on a stage, I went through every single button who was competing to give them a hug. And so it's like, thank you very much for being an amazing part of this game and journey. And when I went on the stage, it's like, show me the paper. <laughs> That's my name is out Yes, it is. So when you came back to London after that, did you see, say, say a change in maybe the guests coming, having heard from that, about that? or First thing, I, I remember I was on the way to the airport from... Uh, in Athens, and I forgot my trophy. <laughs> so oh, the no. whole bus had to turn back. It's like, Eric, you left your trophy back. Oh, sorry, I wasn't thinking about that. So <laughs> I had to turn back the whole bus back to the hotel, find the trophy, get it back. But then it was like so calm. It was nothing happening because everyone was just like, okay, work class, it's over. It's just everyone wanted to just like breathe out. And a few weeks later, 
people started writing about it, talking mm -hmm. about it, coming up. And then suddenly one interview, second interview, newspaper, magazine, radio. And I was like, what is this? Mm -hmm. And it was just spinning on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And it hasn't stopped, really. <laughs> it hasn't stopped, really, after 10 years, still going. <laughs> So, but, of course, your next stop was the Savoy. Yeah, so after, with the work class, obviously, that was... So, we had the work class, Agostino won an international bartender, the hotel won an international hotel bar, and suddenly the spotlights were on us. Hmm. So, everyone started, what's those guys doing, and who are they? And obviously, one of them was just like, okay, these are the guys. And uh, one of my that-time colleague because we were in a Marylebone group and that was Conrad Claridge's Barclay Hotel. So we were kind of colleagues, but he was working in at the Barclay, uh, the Claridge's. He moved to Savoy as an opening, an opening team of the uh, American bar manager. So we kind of knew each other from the company before because he knew that I was at the Conrad while he was at the Claridge's. So he went straight away to me. No, actually, he went, he was very diplomatic about it, Daniel Van Reuter, that he went straight to the manager of the Connaught, Santino Cicciari, and he told him, Santino, I'd like to offer Eric a job. And that's the head bartender. And Santino, Italian, proud. And of course, he didn't want to lose me. And it's like, forget about that. But obviously, he came to me saying, hey, did you get any offer from Claro, from the Savoy? I was like, what? No. No, they told me that they're going to offer you some job. It's like, something honestly, I've got no offer at all. And this was like one week, just quiet. And he was every day when I came to work, was like, so you got anything? I was like, no. I think you're just taking a mock out of me yeah, because yeah. nobody came to me and I'm swearing to you here that I haven't received anything. And a week later, suddenly I got a call from Daniel saying, hey, Eric, I'd like to have a chat with you. It's like, okay. I might know what this chat is about. And then we met up in Notting Hill for a coffee. And then he told me that, uh, so the opening is happening this year because the summer was, remember, was delaying, delaying, delaying. I remember yeah, it was closed for about three years, right? Three. It was, the plan it was... was only 12 months. Oh. 12 months, then even 18 years, 18 yeah. months. And then it was two years. Right. And then ended up three years. And I remember Jack Berger. Jake Berger was telling me, I think, Eric, you should take that role, the head Barton role. It would be perfect for it. I was like, come on, Jack, it's too big for me. And then uh, I was just like, I'm very curious what's going to happen. Why now. did you think it was too big for you? I always looked Savoy, American bar, and seeing all these legends, they're like, I don't know. I felt too... That's the first time no. I've heard you yeah. say that you felt like yeah. you might not be able to... No, because I, uh, I never, I never thought about it really. And when I looked into that, it was like that's really too big. It's like, come on, American bar, head bartender, reopening, massive. So I just stepped. I didn't even apply for that role, and I knew that there was applications was open. I said, I'm happy at the Connaughts. I'm amazing, having amazing team here. We're having amazing year here. So what else? I want nothing. I'm happy. I had everything what I needed and I wanted. So I was very happy where I was. But when they came to me, mm -hmm. I was like, okay. <laughs> let me think about this again. Exactly. Let me think about it again. Because I think this kind of offers won't come twice. And there haven't been very many. Yeah. And, yes, and there haven't been many. only nine, right? Yes. So that was like, okay, let me just think about it. So head button, the new opening. I was like, Harry Craddock, 
Peter Dorelli, Atcom, and Jogi. Oh my God, it's like, is this for real? So I was like, so many meetings with Daniel, and then I came back to Santino at the corner. It's like, yeah, they offered me a job. So, what do you want to do? I was like, okay. So now I started thinking more like a, from my development career. like, so what can I do here in order for me to stay? Right. Rather than what I will do. If there's something I can internally develop that I can progress, right. I won't go. If you offer me something, but I knew, I kind of like it couldn't be because Agostino was above me, right. and this not it's not a big bar that uh, would need another I don't know some kind of a beverage whatever mixologist or whatever because it's just one one solo right. bar which has everyone has his own role. So there was not much going on there. It's like, and Agostino was a head bartender, and I said, well, they're offering me head bartender at the American bar. So, so that I think I should go for it. So everyone was like, no, you have to go for it. This is something you just don't. It's so let great it go. to have had that support <clears throat> where you yeah, were. Yeah, you yeah know? I had amazing support. Yeah. And I still remember my last day at the Connaughts. I had an amazing leaving party from the team and. And then uh, I, I was just going through so many interviews at the Savoy. It wasn't just like a HR interview, head of department interview. I remember I had an interview with like managers from other departments, the beverage director, the food and beverage director. I had an interview with the hotel manager. And I never had this before. Like when I was applying for any hotels before, Konoto, Sanderson, I never seen the hotel manager that would like to sit down face to face and I remember I had to sit down with him even twice and I remember like, I guess you kind of realize just by you saying that yeah, yeah. I realize how important that bar exactly. is exactly so they really really wanted to make sure that whoever comes historically as part of yeah. the Savoy as part of it's London as and it was big the because, book you know the because it wasn't book, just it's... and also it wasn't just the bar opening it was the whole hotel, hotel right so everyone who would walked in they would see everything just reopening anew. And I remember that the hotel manager, Mr. McDonald, he just asked me, he's like, so what's your goal? And I was telling him, he's like, and when I came first time to this bar, that was my birthday because we were always going with Marianne Becker run on our birthdays to hotel bars and just like, that was the moment where we could kind of really enjoy it. And it's like, when I came here last time, I really felt like the bar was missing something. And then we were taken as a group by a brand. And they were telling us, so we're going to see the American bar, but not really for the drinks. And that kind of stayed in my mind. It's like, it was very hard to listen that such an iconic place as American bar. And we're going there to see the place, but not, not, for, because, the not yeah. for the drinks. And so it's like, so something need to be fixed here or something needs to be kind of dusted off and make it you know so it's like I told him I want to bring this bar back to the map where it belongs to and uh, I remember he was just like on his phone on his Blackberry and he was like don't worry I'm, I'm listening to you and he was making notes what I was saying because <laughs> I remember on the opening day he was giving everyone a book and he wrote a sentence saying you're going to bring this bar back to where mm-hmm. it belongs to and uh, when we started, that was the whole mission that uh, really, really everyone. And then 
wanted to see the bar, how is it going to look like, and what's going to be the American bar about. And then when I signed the contract, and I was, quite frankly, I signed the contract of the Savoy here in front of Momo on the Hidden Street. <laughs> I sure it's like everything from your past comes back to you. It like... was some reason. It was connected somehow. It was like some message The white lady, it. remember yes. we talked about last time? I know. Yes, one of the most iconic I signed Savoy drinks I signed ever. a contract on the terrace here outside of the Momo. Uh, and then uh, and then when it was the opening Daniel came to me saying Eric you know that they were around we received around 300 applications for the head bartender role I was like are you kidding me you really <laughs> I have enough stress with the opening and now you're telling me this like there will be like 299 people coming in to see me why they didn't get a job and what I'm doing better than right. they do and you didn't even apply and I didn't <laughs> apply I was like please don't do this to me and and that was true because I remember after years, I met some of my friends and they were telling me, it's like, do you know that I also applied for the role? I was like, no. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I did as well. It's like, oh, sure. Well, creating, you know, you had just, not just, but a few years before, created a menu for a new hotel, the mm. Connaught. Yeah. How did you approach the Savoy one differently? So we were thinking, like, what would be the best menu? And uh, we were analyzing everything. We were just not analyzing, we make a menu and this will be our menu for the American bar. It's a signature menu. We were analyzing like, we need to think of a guest who were coming here for 40 years or 30 years. And uh, we don't want to scare them off because they love to come here and they were coming here for until the hotel closed down for renovation and we need to appreciate them as well. So what we need to do here is... Make it very logically and make it very smooth entering into or the smoother opening that's nobody, everyone will be comfortable. So our very, very first menu was like, let's just do classic cocktails. So our whole menu was, I think, about 18 or 20 classics, but we picked some very cool classic cocktails. Like, Did you make them classic from the the famous Savoy um, book? Or? We made them uh, like a, what I believe that this is the perfect recipe for old fashioned okay. or, or the daiquiri. So but, it was the recipes of those yeah, yeah. classic cocktails. But we were, t we were going quite far or I would say very confident with the drinks that no other bars would put on the menu because they found it, yes, it's a classic but it's such a pain that it has to do. Mm -hmm. So let's just not do it. Like what is one of them? Ramos Gin Fizz. Okay. You never would see a Ramos Gin Fizz uh -huh. in the menu. And we was like, let's put it in the menu. Let's make it work that it's another classic, it's a great classic, and show to the world that we can make it, whether it's a Sunday evening where it's 10 people in the bar or Friday where it's 50 people in the bar mm -hmm. and make it executed exactly the same way because that's something I felt very confident about. To execute and get it out as quick as possible and in the best quality as possible. So that was my main mission, just like take very classic drinks, which was ver not very hard to do, but the execution was the key mm -hmm. and make it in the best quality. So that was the key. So our first menu was really about just to do it perfect. And I think that was a great move because when is the grand opening of the Grand Hotel, you, you want to stay grand. And I remember that I had a guest at the bar when we reopened and it was so funny that those two guests, they just met randomly after the opening as randomly they met before the hotel closed down. 
It was so insane to watch that. Remember? Yeah, that's, yeah, you, yeah. And one of them was saying like, oh my God, it's been three years. And we made an exact next to each chairs on the bar stools. Like, yes. So one guy is telling the story to me and he was like, so I have to tell you something. So when the hotel was closing down, I heard it was closing down for renovation. I had to come here because I really love the Manhattans here. So he just ordered a Manhattan. And he said, and you know what happened after? And I was like, what? After when the bar closed, I make myself a promise that I will never order Manhattan ever again until the hotel opens. And you know what happened? I was like, what? I had to wait three years for it. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> yes, because it was 12 months. So it's just like, okay, 12 months, I can do that. It's And it was like three years. I was waiting for this drink three years. I was just like, oh my God, I love this bar because the stories were coming. And it must have been the best the Manhattan he'd ever had now again. And it was like, oh, wow. So being a part of this, mm. it just was such an amazing journey of witnessing things, stories and connections of people that they were coming here and there was a guest who worked who was probably the oldest regular guest I ever served in my life he's been going to Saudi for 55 years I was like my lord I'm not even that old right. he's been already coming here and uh, or guests who lived at the Savoy for two years he was my guest for two years because he lived at the Savoy so I was like I've seen him more often than my dad or my mom or my brother so I knew exactly what he wants and what time what he want and how he like. And these kind of things like made the sour so special and so unique that it's, it's like, I don't think so there's another place in the world that had so much history and so much connections. And and I'm sure unlike the Connaught mm. opening, you immediately were were successful because it was a Savoy opening. Yeah, because it was a, expectation were insane. And, and the curiosity. I remember when we did the opening our first day, that uh, we changed slightly the policy because I remember back in uh, Peter Dorley's days, he was saying that you could stand around the bar. You could stand, mingle around. It was like very free. But uh, with the new opening, Daniel decided, to like, no, we want to raise the service much higher. So what are we going to do is we're going to hold the door and we will do only table service. So we could only sit... 88 guests mm-hmm. at a time. Our last guests from upstairs, where you walk all the way up, whereas now is the host and this, it was a queue back to the lobby. Oh so the last person who was waiting, he was literally waiting in the lobby. And waiting time was two hours. For him, it was two hours. And he was still waiting. We told him, like, I'm very sorry, but it will take two hours, <laughs> right? For now. That's fine. I was like, I never seen anything like this. Someone mm-hmm. would wait for two hours for a drinks. And that's how important this bar was for many. And then you got, again, the second bar that you mm. worked, mm. Um, the best bar in the world. Yes. So that was, uh, yeah, that was 2011. It was shortly after. And I think I think that was another fantastic year because what happened was that uh, Agostino was announcing the category. Mm-hmm which uh, we were nominated and I was very nervous. I remember that because that was the moment like, okay, this is a big thing in New Orleans, big audience. And just like being shortlisted so many times is like, I just hate this because it's just like you're there and you don't know. And you're just nervous. And 
And when it came out, I was like, I cannot believe it, that it's just all meant to be, that I'm going on a stage, taking over the trophy from my former colleague. And I still remember, I think I got the paper somewhere, because when you open an envelope, it says the name. And when I went on the stage, they gave me the trophy, and he gave me the paper. And I remember Ago gave me the paper and just like, keep this. So I put it straight away in my pocket. I was like, this is amazing memory that working together and now going on the stage and receiving the amazing award and he's being the one who announced it. It was just amazing. And I think uh, that was something that the bar really uh, was missing and it deserved to get because that bar gave so much to us, to the industry and to guests and the cocktails that they've invented there and the stories been made there. It's just like amazing feeling to be a part of that. And Experience. a part of history. Yeah, it's part you, of the history. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> now we're sitting in your own bar, which yeah. had been your dream, you said. Yeah, so... For a long, long time. I remember my dream... That, that started kind of... The seed was planted by Simon Difford when I won World Class and we were doing photo shooting for the World Class booklets at the Connaught. And he told me, you should open your own bar, Eric, now, because this is your year... And you have an amazing year. You worked in amazing bars. You got a, something amazing achieved now. And and you should you should open your own bar. So I was like, mm, okay. And it was just there, sitting in my back, back of my head. But as the time was going, I started more thinking, looking, and asking, and researching. And when I was halfway through at the Savoy, and then. Uh, I felt like, okay, what's how next? many years were you there again? At the Savoy? Eight years. Eight, yeah. So when I was there about four years, I started intensively looking and searching and realizing how difficult it is. It's not easy to open a bar in London. Especially, As you say, the buck stops here. Yeah. It's... Especially when you are like a newcomer and you want to do it, everything for the first time and just try to do it. It's just becoming very difficult when it comes to site, locations, licensing, leasing, and everything is just not easy. So that's uh, kind of put me back saying, okay, let's do it this way. I stay at the Savoy and I'm just going to do my research. I'm going to do my uh, work at home and to see how the market is, where the locations are and how much the whole thing costs and how I can fund this. Maybe find some investors because when I was at the Connaught, I was collecting business cards because everyone was coming like, hey, if you want to think about something, just give me a call. So I had like five investors on the table straight away. And I just realized, like, okay, but the site, site was the tricky one. And uh, first I was very careful, very secretive about it. But then I said, no, I can't be. If I want to open a bar uh, and I want to find the site, I just need to talk about this. And I remember once Douglas Ankar was sitting at the bar, chatting, 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 and it's like, so what are you up to, Eric? It's like, um, I like to open my own bar. So it's like, you got something? No, I'm still looking for a site. And a few weeks later, I think, he just called me saying, Eric, I think you should meet Murad. It's like, who is Murad? You heard about Sketch? It's like, yeah. You heard about Momo? It's like, yeah. So it's the guy behind it. It's like, okay. So we met up. He did the introduction, we met up, had a chat with him, and Murad just brought me downstairs. 
to this was that time was the Kemia bar. So I walked through the uh, Momo restaurant. I was like, wow, this, I remember this. I used to come here when I was at the Connaught. I used to have a tea upstairs in uh, the, the tea room before I went to, to my, on my shift at the Connaught. I was like, I know exactly the location. I was like, this is perfect. Central London. I used to work down in a living living room in the, on Hedon Street. Uh, I signed the contract on right, this street. Exactly. I was like, everything is it's perfect. It's coming back here. All it's coming Hedon back. Street. It's all cool. So, and when I walked downstairs, I was like, wow, this looks amazing that you just starting getting lost from the, from the street that there's no sign downstairs as you walk down on the doors. They have like several doors. One is to the office, another one is to the kitchen, then are the bathrooms, and this was the big wooden door and when you open it I was like okay it looks scary because everything what is what was inside I just didn't like it was just like black wall black ceiling dance floor very old bar I said you know this was a famous club it's been there 23 years Madonna celebrated her 30th birthday it was amazing here and just like I'm looking for someone who would take it over and give a little bit of sparkle and do something cool here I was like okay so what's the deal and he said like do you know I got a little problem here. I was like, what is the problem? The problem is that I already got two guys. They came just before you. And then I showed them. And on a Monday, they're supposed to come and tell me if they are interested or not. I was like, okay. But I like to hear what would you like to do here. So I was like, we wanted to know like, if I really fit into mm -hmm. what we could do because I never met him in my life. So I says, like, you know, some, I worked in a hotel bar, some... I'm more looking forward to open a cocktail bar rather than a club. So I want to do something very classy, very elegant. And he kind of, hmm, I like this guy. I really like these ideas. I was like, I need to get back to these guys to see what they're going to say on Monday. So the guys came on Monday and they said, we want to take the club. So he called me and like, Eric, good news, bad news. Thing is that the guy's taking it because I offered them first before you. But only for two years because the lease is finishing. So it's like, okay, so it's not a bad thing because I can't come in here and take it over and renew everything because everything what was here I just didn't like. It was very old right. club, so the investment just wouldn't work here because if the lease finish, we probably never make that money back, right. and if we never get the lease back, we're in trouble. So it's like. In a way, it's it's a favor works to us that it's going to take a little bit longer than we think. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. It's like, let me work on a new lease. Once we get a new lease, until then I get these guys to run the place and I'll get back to you. But this was like 15 months suddenly just waiting and I was just keep going, looking around. I remember I've seen another site. I got very excited about this site. So I called that time my business partner who I wanted to partner up with and it's like hey listen I found this new site and it's, it's amazing it's got a nice front entrance with the terrace and it's like okay let's go have a look so I completely forgot about this because he just went quiet so I went to see this site and on the on the website it was marked as site available to take it over and when we get there I got shocked it got closed down and saying opening soon. I was oh, like, no. what is this going on around? <laughs> so I called the agent. I was like, listen, you told me to come here, have a look. I'm here with my investor. And it says it's closed. I was like, what do you mean? You should run a rider? I'm in front. And it says it's closed. So things like this suddenly is like, okay. It's not easy because even a guy from the agency didn't know that suddenly right. someone did something, gave to someone and the place was gone. 
on Nadevan, I had from the other side, and the guy was like every phone call I had a call with him, he was increasing the rent by uh, ten thousand, mm-hmm. by ten thousand. So six phone calls, sixty thousand uh. up, because there was someone else was there who was keep bidding against me. But or that was the story. That was the yeah. agency story. That's how right. it works here. So I got, I was started getting a little bit frustrated because Murad is not calling me back. All this side just like not working. 15 months later, Murad just called me saying, Eric, I've got a new lease. I was like, I don't believe you until it's in <laughs> in front of me <laughs> on right. a paper and you show me where do I sign. Right. So then we met up, I remember before Christmas. I think, no, that was before actually, just before we won the, the fifth best. It was 2017. We met 2017 with Murad again and he showed me everything is coming according to the contract, everything coming according to the plan. So 2018, I think we can do it. So it was amazing departure that we won the 50 best and at the Savoy and I said, okay, now I can say a goodbye, even not intentionally planned, but it was just, uh, it just worked out perfectly. And I was like, I've done my part. I done what I could do at the Savoy, and now uh, it's the new journey. So, so what did it look like in here? Before it was, it was a nightclub. So yeah. it was just like dance. So floor. in those fifteen years, <clears throat> or the sorry, in the um, fifteen months, mm. what had happened in here? So no, he was just running it. He was just keep running it. He oh. was just keep running it as. Oh. Uh, so no one knew came in. No, 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 oh. no, no. Those guys, they were only on a two years contract. Oh, okay. When their contracts finished, so he was just running it as a part of the restaurant. Okay. But uh, I think he was just opening Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, always closed. Okay. So and every time when I was coming, I've seen something was disappearing from the room. It was like you're really making this like good. Get everything out Get because everything I out, right? don't want anything what I've seen here. Did you have an idea of so what I was, you wanted to do? Straight away, I was having an idea. I was like, I really wanted to do kind of like a colonial, tropical style. Because when I first time entered to Momo, it was so much green and outside. And when you walk in, you have this Moroccan restaurant. And it's like, this is amazing. That staircase downstairs, you make you also like, you already transport you like you're not even in London. Right. And it's, it like, is, and it is one of the most famous Moroccan restaurants, yeah. I think, in it London. It is, yeah. It's been yeah. here now, 24 years. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, this works perfectly to create something which gives you this nice tropical look and feeling into it. So I started doing my research on on what... Uh, texture you want to use, what look, images, and etc. And I just created kind of like a mood board for him. And then uh, he introduced me to Bambi Sloan. She was our designer, a very good friend of Murad. And then I worked with her, like, this is how I imagine the bar to look like. This is what I like to do with it. And this is how I like to uh, create this kind of ambience. So it's a seating only so we had a bit of argument because she wanted to create a small table. So it's like, no, Bambi, I want to have bigger table. So you're opening a restaurant. It's like, not opening a restaurant. I want to make a comfortable bar. That's mm-hmm. where the guests can sit down, drink a cocktail, and have some food as well. Because we have an opportunity from upstairs to serve amazing Moroccan food here. And if I put a small, tiny little tables, and you have a lamp, and everyone has his mobile phone, you have a drink, and you have no space for anything. And we have an opportunity to do that. So worked very closely on her that's how I like to do that or the bar counter she wanted to do 30 centimeters bar counter it's like no I want a 60 it's like but why don't be so big it's like because I want to serve food on the bar top right. as well I want to make people feel comfortable I don't want people feel squeezed and just like tiny little the bar so 
worked very closely on that and I think it worked out perfectly because what we've created here was exactly what was in my imagination to create something which would really transport you from London elsewhere. And this time with this bar that you're creating, you don't have anyone to tell you really what to do. There's no you're making your own history with the Savoy, the Connaught, yeah. everywhere else has its own history. This is your history. So ha- totally. it's it was, kind of daunting, I would think, but yeah. It was very scary in a mo- in a way that uh, completely doing everything from scratch and 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 seeing first this room as it was like a one dark nightclub, and then third of January, uh, two thousand and nineteen, it was just like only cables from the ceiling. And when did you op- you opened March? So we opened in thirteenth uh, of May. Thirteenth May, right? But uh, when I was standing here in January in this cold room, <laughs> seeing cables. And nothing, and just bricks, not even a floor. I was like, what is this going to look like? How is this going to look like? But I said, I just need to go. I just need to go for it, take that risk, and uh, hopefully, and I'm just believing that it's going to work out, that uh, how it's, it is looks on a paper cool, that it will be also when mm-hmm. people walk in and they find it, actually, mm-hmm. this is cool. And it happened. So when it started slowly coming together, and uh, started bringing people on board and everyone I just had to like it's not a month it's another month it's a little bit longer so pleasing everyone and making sure don't worry if it's it's gonna be cool it's gonna be nice so putting it together just worked out like better than I thought that will be like and the bar program the bar menu so the menu was uh, was amazing that I had a year time to work on think of what would the menu look like? And then I said, you know what? I don't want to give a theme to the menu. Like our theme will be inspired by this and that. No, I just want to serve cocktails that I believe that this is for modern palate, that this is the drinks you sh- is the drink of today. And and drink of today mean by, I believe the drink is now becoming, <clears throat> the sophistication of drink is becoming very simple and uh, by the look, but very complex from inside. So that's what I really wanted to do. Like I wanted to do like we don't focus on how we're going to serve this drink and spend like three weeks on developing a vessel for the drink mm-hmm. and then uh, a name for the drink. And uh, and suddenly we run out of time like and what is inside the drink? Just let's put something quickly together. So I wanted to do like focusing so much on the drink. Like there were drinks we were working on every single day because it wasn't as I was imagining it. And I said, here's the glass. That's what I want for the drink. And I just want this drink to be perfect. Now, you said we. Yeah. Had you already hired so or I was, uh, cherry-picked yeah. people that yeah, you yeah, wanted yeah. So to I had a, join I had, you? I had a team. I had a, a core team in my mind. Like, I like to work with these guys. I like to work with that guy. And uh, I wanted to have a girl in the team as well. So slowly I was approaching people one by one. But... Uh, most of the drinks I've created for this menu, but the idea was, yeah, I have them on the paper, I have them in my mind, but uh, I only started making them when I moved into the bar because I had no bar at that time. Yes, I was doing experiments, I was fermenting and doing, I had all the equipments at home and uh, clarifying in the kitchen, but over there I could just prepare the material, but mm-hmm. then... I was bringing everything in and just tried to playing with here. So I was telling the guys like, okay, so here is the strawberries. I made a strawberry water. Let's make a drink after this. And this is the idea I had. And then just was working on this here. So I had everything I had on the paper, just same as the look 
and I had the same thing when it was to the drinks. So when we moved in, and then it was like, okay, let's go through. And then I was showing them, okay, so this is the, this is the recipe, and this is the idea I have with it. And then when I made it, it's like, okay, it's not exactly as I imagined that, but uh, let's work on it. So we have the core ingredients, we have the core recipe, and then just how we can make it uh, perfect. That exactly when we serve it is like, wow, it's great. And that was where the teams got involved and started fine polishing the the drinks and uh, when they all were all were ticked that they were done so we put them in order that uh, the whole idea of the menu was like as you read the menu from the top to the bottom you start with the light easy drinks aperitif style drinks and as you move to the bottom on a, of each page you find drink much more bold complex and full flavor and that was the whole brief i didn't want to have anything else that the guys would think about apart from just make the drinks perfect that's all what I want. Well, how about vintage spirits? Because you have a whole beautiful mm. yeah. cabinet of vintage spirits. Yeah, over there. so that was uh, that was amazing thing. That when I walked to the room, where is the cabinet? That was a little gap in the wall. So when I've seen that gap, I said, "This is amazing. We can build a cabinet here." So I told Murad, "I was like Murad, either have I have lots of old bottles at home, so I'd like to display them here. So in this corner, we would just build a cabinet in." And he's like. I love that. This is amazing. I love that. I was like, and this was amazing things to work with him. And I told him, and he loved that. They were just like, this is good. I can carry on <laughs> on that idea. I just like go through this. So he created this cabinet and he said, Eric, this is a big cabinet. You have enough spirit? <laughs> I was like, don't worry about it. I'll make sure we fill this up. I have plenty at home. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing. Like I always had this passion for vintage spirits. I remember back from Connaught. I remember I was... I tried to convince the uh, bar manager that time to buy a Bacardi from 1930s, but the bottle was 2,000 pounds. It's like, Eric, who's going to drink that? It's like, I know it's not an everyday drink, but there's always one. There's always someone who walk in and mm-hmm. who would drink that. And uh, he didn't really believe into that. And I was a very young bartender, and I'm just like, leave that. But I didn't forget about that. And when I went to Savoy, I had more confidence. It was like, let's do Sazerac. Because we found a Sazerac Forge cognac on the market. And I had a Peychaud bitters from 30s. So we just get an absinthe. We found the absinthe from 50s. So can, we can recreate the original Sazerac. And that was 5,000 pounds. And that time the bar said, Eric, who's going to buy this? I was like, listen, we have all the ingredients. So the cocktail itself was 5,000 pounds. Yes. So it's like, we have all the ingredients. We don't have to do anything apart from just write it on the menu. And you never know. And there was a night I saw three of them. <gasps> And then everyone in the hotel is like, what the hell is happening here? It's like, I told you. I didn't tell you it's going to happen tomorrow. I said it will be one day. And here's that day. And then and not I, one, but three. One, no, three. And then it's like, yeah, there is always one. And it's it's a beautiful thing, beautiful historian story to tell to the guests. So it's like, so this is interesting thing about the bar that you can come here and you can have a drinks which are very old and rare. Or you can have a drinks which are very new and unique and using all that modern techniques and flavors that you can find. So that's a kind of our core uh, offer that we can do here, that you can have experience that if you want to focus on something new and fresh and new bright ideas, you can get that. Or if you want to try Negroni from 1950s, you can have that. Well, it hasn't even been a year yet mm. since you've been here. So this is a tough question. Mm. But you seem to have conquered all your goals. Mm. Um, 
what do you see for yourself maybe in the future? If it, oh. And in you don't future. have to answer that if you no, don't I, want. I have, I have. <laughs> for me, the future is just uh, like work with an amazing team. I think for me, it's the most important thing is a team because without them, this bar has just walls and ceiling and that's it. But the team is the one who I really admire and uh, be a part of this amazing journey because everyone who works here has been here since day one and nobody left since we opened. Unfortunately, only one Junpei, the Japanese guy who had to leave because of his visa. But he told me if his visa wouldn't expire, he would be still here. So, and that makes this place so unique that the people are here. And my main goal was here. I want to create a place where people come here and they come here to enjoy their work. They don't come here and they, they're already upset. They already annoyed by, we don't have a proper station or we don't have glassware or we don't have proper tools. I said, I want to invest everything into that to make sure that when people will be here, they will love to work here. They will love to enjoy to being here. Not just as an employee, but just a part of this. And I think that's my main goal, just to create an amazing space where there is more positivity than negativity. Could you ever ever <laughs> imagine, when you look back at where you started, that this is what you would have achieved? Mm. I mean, all that you would have achieved? Well, the thing was that uh, I'm, I'm a kind of guy that whatever I put in my head, I... Do I'm I'm gonna go for I it until I get that. it, <laughs> and and with this was pretty much similar. Like I'm gonna go for it until I open my bar, and but obviously this bar has so much amazing things that uh, I I wasn't thinking that it can be so cool that people really coming here and just like we love this, we love what you're doing here, and we love the inspiration, and we love the team who works here, and everyone just talking about the team, and it's like this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's something like it's very nice to see now even without thinking like I desperately want it. It was more like it's something like I like to have and I like to imagine that this will be a great bar. I never thinking, oh, I want this to be the world's number one bar. It's very hard because ten out of ten people, three comes here and they says like, oh, I don't like this kind of drink. So for them, it will never be the world's best bar. And uh, but there are people who come here. It's like we love everything. We love the lights. We love this. We love that. And for me, it was like it's amazing feeling that people coming in and and leaving with a good, good, uh, uh, good memories that this was a great experience. So it's more about to create experience for people, whether they are work here or whether they're coming to visiting us. So should we go to the bar and have one of your fabulous cocktails? Let's do that. All right, great. How can I thank Eric enough for sitting down with me? Twice. And I can't wait to see what he'll achieve in the next 10 years. Until then, let's hunker down with another quaint classic and our cocktail of the week. Does anyone remember El Morocco, New York's legendary nightclub on East 54th Street? Sipping our cocktail of the week, the Hacienda, at Quaint makes me feel as if I've been transported right back to the 1950s when El Morocco was in full swing. Sitting there, you feel as if the modern-day Gershwin or Cole Porter or Clark Gable are sitting right next to you. And by shaking this cocktail at home, you'll bring all that glamour right into your living room. Start by adding all the following ingredients to a shaker. 
30 ml of Patron Tequila Silver, 10 ml of Cochi Rosa, 15 ml of Lacto-Fermented Purple Carrot, 10 ml of Fino Sherry Tio Pepe, 10 ml of Vita Mezcal, 15 ml of Agave Nectar, and 30 ml of Lime Juice. Shake with ice and strain into a cocktail glass with one big ice cube. Then garnish with Mexican Marigold. You'll find this recipe, more tequila recipes, and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. I never actually visited El Morocco, being way too young for that privilege. But I hope to live my life as one man described its gang of frolickers. They are true martyrs to magnums. If you live like that or for lush life, would you consider supporting us by buying us a coffee? Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash lush life and you can donate once or monthly to make sure we are still here every Tuesday. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, the second part was mine. So, next time on Lush Life, we visit Paris, Paris to meet with one of the most successful food bloggers of all time, who this week welcomes in his first book on drinking. Ooh la la. Until that time, bottoms up. Bottoms up.